Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. What's going on? This is Zaire Franklin, linebacker of the Indianapolis Colts, and this is the NFL Report. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the NFL Report. I'm Steve White with my co-pilot, James Palmer. I'm not actually with my co-pilot. I'm in our L.A. studios, James Palmer. I know. He is in Indianapolis, where Zaire Franklin and the Colts play because he's there at the Combine. It's that time of year, JP. And on our show, we have got Andy Reid, the Chiefs head coach. We've got Brett Veach, the Chiefs general manager. We have got information from Ryan Poles, the Bears general manager. And we're going to be talking to Les Snead, the Rams general manager, and Tom Pelissero, our NFL Network insider. <laughs> He's got some more for us, too. It is a loaded show, JP, but since you are in Nap Town, tell us what's going down there. Well, Steve, let's start at the top, right? And that's starting at the top of this draft. The number one overall pick belongs to, okay. as you mentioned him, Ryan Poles, the general manager of the Chicago Bears. He's having several meetings, I'm told, with people obviously about Justin Fields, obvious about people interested to trade up for that number one pick. To my understanding, Steve, some of those conversations are happening in the private suite that Ryan Poles has here that oh. also includes a golf simulator if he gets bored. I don't know if okay. he's like uh, uh, Tom Cruise and a few good men. He thinks better with <laughs> his bat but he he's got a he's got a golf club there to swing while he All goes right. through some of these conversations and the biggest pick of the draft so we had our very own friend of the show stacy dales to have an exclusive conversation with ryan poles about that number one pick and about his current quarterback justin fields roll a tape lc the one thing that's important for us is just continue to communicate and be transparent with Justin, and we'll continue to do that with him and his team. Um, but we have to be open-minded about everything. Uh, what you do appreciate about Justin is his leadership, his mindset that he's had over the last two years. Things have not been easy, um, but his stability, um, his confidence in himself, his leadership has continued to grow um, as we've gone along, and, and that makes all of these decisions so complicated um, because I care about the guy a lot too. So um, I mentioned it before, you know, no one likes to live in gray, right? You want to know where am I going? Am I staying here? All of those things. So um, we'll continue to communicate, but he has done a great job just getting better every single year we've been together. Yeah, he had a career season really uh, in terms of his numbers. What trade talks have come up around his name? Yeah, nothing right now. I know some people have kind of touched base with different parts of my team, just kind of testing the water, seeing what's yeah. what's going on. Um, but no serious conversations have happened right now. The question really is, like, can you pass on, like, the right quarterback, right? So um, that person's got to fit exactly what we need to be successful for a long period of time. Um, and then when you talk about the contract, like, that's what makes this so dynamic. It's it's the short term, but there's also a long term setup as well when it comes to a contract, um, you know, for a veteran quarterback or for um, a rookie contract. So, again, all of those things are going to be put together and um, we'll make the best decision. Just kind of lastly, what would it take if you were to trade a Justin Fields? I mean, yeah. he, a lot of people love him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what what would it take in terms of capital getting back for a player of his caliber? Yeah, we're still working through that. It's hard to say right now. Um, I think 
at the end of the day, it's, you know, if we go down that route and we continue to listen, we'll we'll see what the teams are out there kind of talking about, what makes sense for everyone. Um, but it's hard to, to really put something on it right now. Yeah. We appreciate you stopping. That's Ryan Poles. Thank you. GM of the Bears. Thanks so appreciate much. It. Oh, and do we appreciate our great teammate Stacey Dales with a great interview right there. I thought Ryan Poles was very transparent. So here's some things that tells me exactly what's going on. Justin Fields is out of there. Not once did Ryan Pohl say Justin Fields is our guy, like we heard Todd Bowles, the Buccaneers coach, come out and say Baker Mayfield is a priority. Never said that. Oh, what's, what's the compensation going to be? Well, we don't know right now. Well, that follows him saying no one's really kind of gone in there. they got to figure out what a team is going to be willing to take. From that conversation right there, Justin Fields is going to be on the move, and it looks like Caleb Williams is going to be the first overall pick, JP. But again, the interesting part about that also is you heard Ryan Pohl say nobody likes to live in the gray. We know Justin Fields has said on the podcast with Amon Ross St. Brown and Equinemius Ross St. Brown that he wants to know as soon as possible. We won't know until a team comes to the table with some deal. So there could be some gray going on. But Justin Fields, again, based on that conversation, tells me he's out of there and Caleb Williams is going to be the Chicago Bears quarterback in 2024. Well, Steve, you mentioned Caleb Williams. Ryan Poles has talked about him plenty at this combine. And I think the interesting part about it is that he was there for that draft process of Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, who is the guy that, let's just be clear, nobody is Patrick Mahomes on this planet, but there are a lot of traits that Caleb Williams possesses that make people think of Patrick Mahomes. He had a great line here, and it was specifically said to Stacy in another part of that interview that one of his scouts, Jeff King, says quarterbacks are either artists or surgeons, Steve. And he meant there's a lot of comparisons in terms of the arm talent, the different arm angles that Caleb Williams uses that reminds him of Patrick Mahomes, but what the biggest part of their draft process of Mahomes was when they had a chance to meet with him for the first time it was at the combine and spend a lot of time with him and fall in love with him as a person and a player. And that was a big part of drafting Patrick Mahomes and knowing his personal makeup. They know what they do on the field, Steve, but also you have to know what makes up the player himself. And Ryan Poles is starting to do that with Caleb Williams right now. Real interesting stuff, JP. Some stuff coming down the line. Well, another team that looks like they're getting ready to bounce their veteran quarterback into possibly draft another one is the Denver Broncos. And, J.P., they're at the Combine. Head coach Sean Payton and GM George Payton had some very interesting things to say about Russell Wilson and their future quarterback. We're, we're, we want to see the entire landscape. We had to get through our draft meetings. You know, we had to get through our free agent meetings and evaluate with what we have. And, and, and so we just want to get through the process. Sean needs to see all these quarterbacks. The, the coaches need to see all these quarterbacks until we make an informed decision. I think Tuesday, Wednesday, we'll be in meetings with ownership. Um, and so I, I, expect, I expect that we're going to know fairly quickly. I said it's the Super Bowl, but I think more specifically, I think uh, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood next week, we're, we're going to, there's a couple factors here. You know, obviously the cap projections came out. Um, we're further down the road with the draft class. Uh, obviously the pro free agents. <clears throat> so I would I would anticipate it being uh, you know within the next two weeks. I, I I saw this like humorous meme the other day where there was a Bronco fan with a shirt on and there was like eight quarterbacks names with 
across through it, you know, and and he's drinking the quarterback Kool-Aid. And, I, you know, our, our job is to make sure that this next one, you know, doesn't have a line through it. Well, that's pretty clear there, Steve. The opening, the next <laughs> one doesn't have a line through it. He's literally saying the next one. And the two weeks is in reference to Russell Wilson and his future. But if you listen to the second part of the clip, you would say that in the next two weeks, they will be parting ways with Russell Wilson, where right now there is no trade talk by any stretch. No team has reached out, to my understanding, to the Denver Broncos regarding a trade for Russell Wilson, because they probably, Steve, believe that release is happening. The biggest thing that Sean Payton said repeatedly, and he has said this to me privately as well, is multitasking the ability to do a variety of things at the same time playing the quarterback position, whether that's how quickly you deliver the verbiage, how quickly you can go through your progressions, how you are able to communicate and work within this offense doing a variety of things, whether that's with motions or other aspects of handling an entire offense, is very, very high priority for Sean Payton in this process. He believes quarterbacks like Tua Tungabailoa can do that. Patrick Mahomes can do that. Obviously, Drew Brees, who he had for a long time, can do that. He doesn't think of Russell Wilson, to my understanding, in that same vein. So he's obviously looking for those traits and who the next quarterback's going to be. Yeah, I mean, and that's the question. As much as we're wondering where Russell Wilson's going to end up, will he be a bridge quarterback? Will he be a backup quarterback? Will he get a shot to start? What's going to happen in Denver? Because right now we are in the Haxton Lynch, Brock Osweiler category of Ooh. maybe options out there. They don't want to go back to, as Sean Payton said, the names that are crossed out. So it would be very intriguing to see if Denver makes a move to get up in the draft. They wait for one of these quarterbacks to possibly fall to them, or if they do something you trade or free agency. Also, who knew that Sean Payton rocked with Paris Saint-Germain, the soccer club, as his hoodie said, for those of you listening only on the podcast. Well, JP, coming up, we're talking about a team with a quarterback stability. That's the Kansas City Chiefs. And Andy Reid, Big Red's going to give us some insight on the surgeon, or is it artist, next on the NFL Report. The NFL Combine presented by Noble, where a dream that starts small can get big and a name that's unknown can become the future. Next is here, the 2024 NFL Combine. Tomorrow starts with D linemen and linebackers, followed by DBs and tight ends on Friday, then the big one on Saturday. That's the quarterbacks, wide receivers, and running backs. And we finish it up Sunday with the offensive linemen, live on NFL Network and streaming on NFL+. Well, Steve, you know who's going to like to take a look at those offensive linemen? It's Big Red. It's the head coach of the yeah. back-to-back Super Bowl champions, Kansas City Chiefs. That's Andy Reid and also General Manager Brett Veach. Both of those guys, the architects of this, as we may call it, Steve, a dynasty that's getting put together in Kansas City. I had a chance to talk to both of them here in Indianapolis with some exclusive conversations. Brett Veach and I breaking down a lot of the behind-the-scenes things that could happen with free agents coming up and other contracts he has to deal with. But first, how about Andy Reid and I having a conversation, Steve, about Patrick Mahomes and what he grew with this season. A monster, monster year for his career, potentially, but also, why is Andy here in Indianapolis? Roll the tape, LC. Andy, the first thing that jumps out at me is how long you've been doing this, and there's coaches that are opting not to come here. What do you gain out of your experience here in Indianapolis that helps your club? Yeah, it's the first time that you have a chance to kind of meet the guys, sit in front of them, talk to them, see how they handle you Mm -hmm. and how they handle your coaches. Um, 
I, I don't really care about the workout stuff as much as I care about it. We have that all on tape. Uh, but to uh, be right there with the kids, sitting six feet away from them and be able to talk to them and kind of quiz them through things, yeah. I think uh, is a good introduction, at least, to, to the player. With that said, the continuity that you guys have been able to continue with, what advantage does that give you when you're going through this process, Andy? Because you can, I guess you're all looking for the same thing or know what you're looking for. Yeah. Um, well, Brett, listen, Brett heads all that up. You know that. Yep. And he does a, a heck of a job with it. Uh, his communication with us, it, it, you know, the coaches is, is great. There are no walls. With his scouts, there are no walls. And um, that becomes so important in the continuity part of it, consistency. Um, and we know, we all know you're not going to be very good if you don't have good players. You know, and so it it vests everybody together uh, to to find the best guy for for your team, and hopefully cuts down on that error margin. Yeah. And uh, that becomes you know that becomes important for us. You mentioned your best players, your quarterback. I had a conversation with your offensive coordinator and Matt Nagy. You told me a couple days before the Super Bowl this season is going to be great for Patrick's career uh, in terms of. I'm not sure what he meant. I'm curious what your opinion is in terms of what this past year did for Patrick and maybe in the long run. Well, the offense wasn't doing too well. We've always been the number one offense, and all of a sudden we're not. So you've got the, the outside scrutiny, but you're also trying to fix it and grow it in our case. We had way too many drops, way too many penalties. Um, uh, new guys and, uh, and on the offensive line, mm -hmm. new guys – uh, opposite Kels yep. and without experience. Yep. So as Rasheed grew, our offense kind of grew. Mm -hmm. and we were able to get the ball out quicker. We were able to keep things more inside the numbers. Kels became better because he had somebody opposite working with him where they couldn't just always double him. Yep. And, um, and Rasheed built himself a nice foundation that he can take his crew on. In the meantime, you have this MVP quarterback that had patience with it and was willing to teach. So uh, I think that's probably what Matt meant was he took a positive road moving forward where other guys were getting frustrated. He kept a positive, positive attitude and people followed him. So last one, I know you're not going to talk numbers. I'm not going to talk your contract, Andy, but there is, you know, word out there that you're going to be signing an extension most likely soon. How excited are you to be just kind of probably locked in in years to come? We all were worried pre-Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah they'll all take place I, um, here quickly, I'm sure. But, I mean, Clark, <laughs> there's no, no better person to work for than, than Clark Hunt. I mean, I felt that way with Jeff Lurie. I feel that way with Clark Hunt, and I've been fortunate Green Bay Packers. They don't have an owner, but I was fortunate to be there. So um, I'm not getting any younger, and so um, I, you know, I appreciate uh, Kansas City. I mean, I love it. We love it there, and I love the organization. I get to work with three great guys, or two great guys, and and I work with more than that. But I mean, yep. I've got Mark, Do I've got Clark Hunt, Mark Donovan, and Brett Veach which is the three. I'd already mentioned Clark, so that was the two. <laughs> um, but the, the, those guys, I mean, I work, work with them every day, and, um, and I've got the opportunity to do, do things that, um, that 
Clark gives us the opportunity, all three of us, to do things to help us win. And that's all you, know, that's all you can look for. So. When you say you're not getting any younger, but you're still doing it at an unbelievable level, thank you, Andy. I appreciate it, James. Thanks, you. Yeah. Brett, back-to-back Super Bowls, so I have to start with this. You're, I guess, a seasoned veteran at a shorter processing time to start evaluating things for the combine. Is there a, a method to this now that you know you have a little bit less time? No, no, those are those are good problems to have, and it's always um, you know difficult task to get caught up to speed. But I think um, you know the method I have is to rely on the great personnel staff I have, and uh, they're always one step ahead of the game, whether that be free agency or the draft. So uh, you know, once you get back from Vegas, I mean, you're right in those draft meetings, and um, you know it's hard to catch your breath. But fortunately, I have those guys, and you know they have me well caught up to speed and, and prepped for all this. Everybody obviously wants to know what you're going to do with Chris Jones and saw how well he played again. You guys went through this process last year. I'm curious, as you're talking to his reps now, does that make things harder or easier that you guys didn't get something done, but you did kind of start the conversation a year ago? I think to a certain extent it makes it easier. I, you know, I, we have a great deal of, of respect for his agents, and we have a, obviously we have a great deal of respect for Chris, and I think our goal and in, intentions were to get something done last year. We weren't able to get it done. We hit a little rough patch there you know, the week of that Detroit game. But I'll tell you, give him and his crew a ton of credit because we met right after that game and had a great conversation, and we talked about some of the things and how this may all play out. And so here we are, and I think to your point, we have that kind of backlog of, of dialogue that that we've shared. And, um, you know, listen, we're cautiously, cautiously optimistic, and he's a great player, and, you know, these things are never easy, but we're going to certainly put our, be- our best foot forward and try to get something done. So where do things kind of stand, I'm curious, with him and LJ with – I mean, you could possibly use the tag. I'm assuming you're, you're thinking that's an option, but have you started those conversations? And yeah, we've had some initial phone conversations, but I, you know, actually, I think we have LJ and and Chris back to back days here. I think later on today and then tomorrow. I think we'll, we'll, you know, by the time we get through the end of the workday Wednesday, we'll have met with both of, um, you know, their team members, and um, you know, we'll start that process. We do have a tag. I mean, the tag will be hard for Chris, um, but we do have a tag at our, our disposal there for for you know potentially one of those players, but. Um, you know, we're going to work through it. And as I said, back in, in Las Vegas during Super Bowl week, our goal and um, our plan is to, you know, do what we can to, you know, retain both players. And uh, if we could do that, great. But we also know how this league works and nothing's for sure, nothing's guaranteed. So we'll have contingency plans and backup plans if we can. There's two other guys I'm curious about, and this is a problem you're creating. When you draft well, then you got to pay those guys their second deal. When you draft well in the same draft, say Trey Smith and Creed Humphrey, those guys are coming around the corner. Where do things stand with, with both of those guys? Because obviously you want to keep that interior intact. Yeah, those are all great problems to have and um, a lot of good players. I think um, you know we'll have a chance to meet with their crew this week as well. I think it'll be a little bit of a different time frame. I think what we'll do is we'll tack free agency and the guys that are up and the guys that we need answers on right away, we'll, we'll knock this out. Um, we'll, we'll put that plan um, into place, we'll get through the draft. And once we get through the draft and see how um, our roster looks um, after free agency and, and the draft and undrafted free agency, then we'll have a time to catch our breath and then get with them and start fresh. And you no, know, a lot of it depends too on you know what these deals look like for the guys that we bring in this year and you know what the, the cash flows and the contract looks like and, and you know what that means for um, some of those young guys and how we can best fit them into our plans. But as you mentioned, we love all those guys and you know we'll work um, very hard to get um, as many of those players done as we can. You mentioned the cash flow. I'm curious now that we're several years into Pat's deal, has that been an advantage or having the? It's it's so unique. You know what I mean? That does that has that been able to be an advantage for you as you build the rest of your roster because that length of that contract? Yeah, I mean we'll always 
we'll have two things. We'll you know we'll have length, and then we'll have just you know that great relationship and that you know that trust that we're always going to look out for one another. And you know that's how we've handled that contract from from the beginning. And you know last year we had a chance and a window there to adjust it for him, and we did. And you know I'm sure we'll have great dialogue moving forward. Um, you know so that we can all work together to you know put the best product out there possible. All right, go after that uh, three-peat, Brett. Awesome. Let's do it. Yeah, thanks. Great job of that, JP. I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad you snagged those guys. Look, the one thing in listening to Andy Reid talk about Patrick Mahomes, I mean, what, what, what's the light that comes mm -hmm. on over your head, JP? That's Tom Brady. That is how people describe. Oh, yeah. There you go. But that's how people describe Tom Brady, <laughs> right? For years, all you heard was Tom Brady True. would talk to the last guy on the practice squad to the star receiver or running back after practice, before practice, to make sure they were all on the same page, to make sure if this guy got hurt, you know you could slide in like that. So JP, well done. Again, great stuff by Andy Reid right there. And one thing is I sent it to you that I love that Brett Veach said, it's kind of the TikTok and how they prioritize free agency, potential trades, franchise tags, things like that. You heard him in that interview, Steve, kind of hint, right? We're putting variety of scenarios in place regarding Legereus need. We can tag him. We'd like him to be here long term with Chris Jones. That's not a tag option, but we'd like him to be here long term. But he mentioned in there, right? There's a variety of scenarios we're putting in place. One of those involves letting Legereus need go and see if he could seek a trade because there are other oh. people that he needs to sign down the road, i.e. Creed Humphrey or Trey Smith. But keep your eye, Steve on them looking at veteran wide receivers right now, as well as receivers in this draft. They are not going to go into the 2024 season Give to my name. understanding Give me name, the same JP. group of wide receivers in that room right name, now. JP. I don't know. Would he swing at Mike Evans? We'll see if they swing Dave at Mike Davis? Evans. We'll Mike find Evans? out. But I know, I know, exactly. I know Brett Veach is going to make those calls, Steve, and he might make a call to, I don't know, Another general manager that knows a lot about receivers. That's Les Snead. He's going to join the show. And he found a diamond in the rough in Puka Nakua, one of Steve's favorite players in the NFL yes, he is. this past year. We're going to talk about why Les's approach was maybe a little bit different, but why it works for him and Sean McVay. The Rams general manager, Les Snead, joins the NFL Report next. You're listening to the NFL Report podcast, but you can watch me, Steve Weich, and my co-host James Palmer on the NFL Report at 7.15 Eastern Time on Mondays and Thursdays on the NFL app and free streaming platforms on the NFL channel on Roku, Tubi, Peacock, Pluto TV, and other free streaming apps. It's time for the lead block presented by T-Mobile for Business. A sport as fast as football deserves America's fastest 5G network. Businesses go further with T-Mobile for business. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. All right, welcome back to the NFL Report. James Palmer, we are now joined by Rams general manager Les Snead. And, and, and Les, we, yeah. we didn't Love play that class. video because of the pick of Jared Goff. We played that video because of the year. Eight drafts ago was the last time you used a first-round draft pick. How does it feel to finally have one at your O use this year? 
You know what you you mentioned before we got on this thing, let's have some fun. So I do think this is going to be a a fun draft. We're going to have to work on Thursday night. And then as as I played that, I couldn't help, but I couldn't help but just visualize, you know, punting the ball to Detroit and Jared kind of finishing the game on a few completed passes. So give Jared Goff credit. You know what I mean? Uh, you know how it goes in the – it's cool it. narrative, right, that we draft Jared, we trade Jared, and he uh, he wins a playoff game in Detroit for the first time in a million years against his old team. So isn't that a cool narrative? That's Couldn't write cool a better Really cool narrative. Unless you're a Ram. Really cool narrative. I got to ask <laughs> Right. I was about to say, I can't yeah, see you liking that. That's true. You're a Ram. So <laughs> as you <laughs> – as you want to prove your team less, I have to ask you, you have this first-round pick. Are you going to keep that first-round pick? I just did a, a press conference uh, with our local media, and they, they asked me the same question. So uh, <laughs> here's what I'll say. It's, it's a really, really valuable piece of real estate to have. Whether we pick at 19, I'm not sure. There's so many variables that go into whether we pick at 19, right? Do we, do we, do we move up? Do we move back? And I remember one year we actually, we actually in that stretch, that drought, I think, I think you mentioned eight years, whatever it was, we actually, uh, we, we had the 31st pick in the draft at one time during that stretch, the year after we finished uh, with the silver medal instead of the gold against the New England Patriots in that Super Bowl. But we did trade back into the second round uh, to continue the streak. So uh, it'd be interesting, right? Do we just say, you know what? Let's continue the streak for streak's sake, and oh boy, know, a couple times to the second round. <laughs> yeah, that'll that'll go over well, Les. I mean, the Rams fans will really love that. But look, with, with the with the rate of success you guys have had, you know, what? I want to I want to rephrase this. I want to get to this because every year we talk about teams trading up to get into that top part of the draft, like you did back in 2016 when you gave up all that freight. To move, I think it was from eleven to one. I'm not quite sure, but I think it was in that ballpark with Tennessee. What it might have been even farther back than that. It yeah, really. What, what does it take? Like when, when you're sitting sitting in that seat, like right now, like some teams may be trying to get up into the top three this year to get one of these quarterbacks. What type of ingenuity you know, does it take to make a move like that? Well, I think the. I think we were talking about Thomas Dimitrov before we came on the air. I, I was in Atlanta when yep. Thomas as GM made the move from from way back to get Julio Jones, yeah. right? There there was an element of learning some lessons there. Going back to the the Jared pick, what's very interesting is uh to add context to that whole deal, we had played we had spent a lot of years playing really good defense uh in St. Louis and, and then subsequently probably uh uh maybe not L.A., then we were moving to L.A. within. So let's just call it St. Louis. What we had struggled with is continuity at QB. And when I walked in, when I was fortunate enough to get the GM job in St. Louis, uh, Sam Bradford was a QB. He he had gone through two unfortunate ACL injuries. So now we get to that draft. What's very interesting is, and this is the the, the – it's sometimes I say it's easy to identify – it's easier maybe to identify, and that's even hard too, right? To identify a college QB who's going to come in mm-hmm. and let's call it be your franchise QB. The hard thing to do is to acquire that player, right? So in that year, though, uh, I do know with the Titans, the year before they had done Mariota, Tampa Bay had done Winston. So the Titans were sitting at a spot 
where you knew they weren't going to draft the QB uh, for the most part. And so recognizing that early of going, you know what? Wow, this could be an opportunity to actually acquire a QB. So we had identified QBs, let's call it Jared, Carson. There was a few others in the draft. And then at that point in time, you're like, wow, maybe we could actually acquire the QB. And and then at the combine in Indy where y'all are at now, it's probably the first time John Robinson and I had the conversation on, on, on us moving up and the Titans moving back. Les, you, you, you mentioned in Indy, you had that conversation. You're not in Indy right now. You haven't come. What have you learned over the years about the process that works for you guys with the Rams and not coming to the combine? You know, it, I, I mean, uh, Steve, I would say this. We, we value the combine. We probably have a less traditional footprint on the ground at the combine. Uh, I can tell you this. Our, our I mean, Jake Timmy who kind of runs our analytics, Blake, who's an analyst, they're, they're chomping at the bit to get some of the, right, some of the numbers that are going to come out of uh, Indy. I know we'll, with technology today, I know after after the position groups work out on Thursday, we will get a video of, of those players uh, into mm. our system. And by Friday afternoon, I'll have a write-up from our scouts right on how they thought they did in let's call it the non-football drills uh so what's interesting what mm-hmm. we felt like for efficiency of time is especially as we get the coaches involved and we try to come up with a collaborative plan on the draft of who fits who gives us an edge and things like that the things that you that with the coaches getting involved so late with us losing coaches a lot of times uh right after the season based mm-hmm. on success that's what trying to get in that continuity. Here's what we don't have enough time. We what we want to do more is watch more football film. Right. And we'll be able to use all the data that comes from the combine. Right. We'll chop it up. We'll analyze it and we'll add it uh, to our process. We'll add it to our decision making tree, all those things. So I would just say this. It's just a little less traditional footprint there. But Jeff Foster, NFS, they do a great job. Uh, we just feel like it's probably more efficient for Sean and I coaching staff to be here versus Indy. But less, so you see the drills, right? You see the testing and the drills, but what about the in-person? Because a lot of folks, you know, like Andy Reid even said, this is the first time he may get to look at these guys in the eye and kind of get a read on them, but also let them get a read on you. Do you miss any of that? Or do you just say, we'll pick that up later when we bring them into our building on the personal invite? What we try to do is, 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 uh, the answer would be we don't think we miss – we may miss out on it, let's call it this week, right? Uh, but it is in terms of uh, 18 minutes. We've done a lot of research. It, it, again, our paradigm's different. We feel like, okay, maybe maybe we instead of being there just to get 18 minutes with 48 players, uh, it's better served to be here doing some other things. And then we value intangibles, right, uh, immensely – we firmly believe, right, a player's gifted with some physical, uh, let's call it traits to to be able to possibly play football, possibly give the Rams or any team in the NFL an edge. But I always go that the part of that calculus form that's very important is the intangibles that player has. And you blend all that up and and usually talent plus intangibles 
will probably equal right the 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 edge that player can give to us. So we value it well. We just think it's better for us than to uh, let's call it uh, sit down with that player somewhere else, somewhere where we have more than just eighteen minutes. Uh, and somewhere also where the player is not focused. Let's just say this: a player could have ten interviews in one night. That's pretty right. exhausting. True. So we're able now to maybe go Very visit true. that. Uh, on you know, technically rules are really you go visit that player on his his setting, sit down with him for maybe definitely more than eighteen minutes. Usually, it's up to you know somewhere between three and four hours, and. and you know, get to know that person there. And also, also see, and I'm talking a lot, but what it also allows us to do is, is really digest the vetting we've done so that we know when we do go sit down and we're playing, there's, there's specific things we're trying to figure out. And guess what? Some players, man, they're a plus, I call them marry your daughter type guys. And at that point we may not even <laughs> meet them. And there's a st- strategy there. If we don't meet them then, hey, uh, you and Jesse can't say, oh, I heard the Rams are in this player, right? You know, those of us on this side, I get it. Y'all got it. Y'all in the content content business is cool, interesting. Those of us on this side might like to fly a little bit stealthier than that. You know what I mean? Throw a curveball. Oh. Oh. Which I can tell you this, it's getting really hard to throw curveballs, you know, uh, in, in this day and time based on, the cool thing, right? How popular NFL is, how many people cover it. Y'all are really good at what you do. So, uh, you know, there's also a little bit of that into it too. That's great. Well, that's what I want to ask you. I've never, like you said, I've never sat in your, your seat. When you have players that you've hit on late in the draft that you've been, you know, whether it's Puka Nakua or it's Cooper Cup or, or guys, what is the process or the waiting like when you like them, but you, but you don't really know how much you want to reach for them, but you don't want somebody else to snag somebody you really like? These picks that are not near the top of the draft, that there's so many different variables that can happen, but you have guys probably in those rounds you absolutely love, and when you grab them, it probably means the world. I think if they're having a year like Puka, I'm like, holy cow, we were stupid. Why did we wait to then to pick him? Uh, so that's the first thing yeah. that crosses your mind uh, with that. But it, it is interesting, too, y'all are in Indy, and there is there is a really good correlation, right, of how you test in Indy and where you get drafted. Now, sometimes that correlation doesn't necessarily mean uh, it's going to be how good a football pl- player you are. So there are times, right, where you could go and, you know, there's a receiver who maybe doesn't run a 40 as fast or things like that, uh, maybe played in the Mountain West thing, you know, and not a power five. And, and you can use that strategy to, uh, uh, let's call it, figure out where that player may fall in the draft. But in Puka's uh, case, we probably should have okay. drafted him earlier. Well, Les, hey, we're, we're going to let you go. But one thing, you know, I want to give you credit for, you know, I, I think everybody should, you guys have nailed it with some mid-round, late-round picks. But your coaching staff, as is, is revolving as yep. it is, the development, the consistent development you guys have players is something I think where the Rams have to rate among the top of the league well, what your coaching staff does with some of the players that you guys get regardless of where you For find sure. them. So, well, it's, it's very. You're right. We got to work together symbiotically. They're, they got to have a vision for player for that player, how that player gives us an edge. They've got to be really good at developing them. And also, Steve and Jet, the, the one thing I say that's underrated, you got to have the courage to play them, the courage to trust a young player, the courage to go rely on them, because we all know you keep score on Sundays, 
and 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 you can't you just you, you have that you just don't want to roll anyone out there uh, because you're getting a report card every week. All right, Les, thank you so much, man. We know you're busy well, this time of year. You got a first round draft pick. You got to go study some guys for. Let's see if you guys end Let's up. Let's go. Will he use it? We don't know. That's right. Hamilton. Right. <laughs> Coming up on the NFL Report, Tom Pelissero joins us, Steve, to talk about Baker Mayfield. Where will he land? Will he be in a Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform? Ooh, he talked to Todd Bowles. We'll find out next with Tom P. That's a wrap for the lead block presented by T-Mobile for Business. A sport as fast as football deserves America's fastest 5G network. Businesses go further with T-Mobile for Business. Welcome back to the NFL Report. James Palmer, Steve Weiss with you. I am no longer alone in Indianapolis, Steve. I have NFL Network insider Tom Pelissero. I was on his show on the Insiders. I thought he did a pretty good job. Then we walked like Like, 10 feet this way, and now we got to try to top it. And now we're going to try to top it. Tom's going to top what I did on his show with some information starting at the quarterback position. A lot of them will throw here on the field behind us in the next couple of days. How about one that won't be, and maybe the number one free agent possibly available in Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is throwing on a tennis court somewhere right now. Everything that I've been told is that, if anything, he is ahead of schedule in his recovery from that ruptured Achilles tendon. He is already throwing. He's hitting the top of his drop. He's able to pivot. He's able to do a lot of things that you would hope to see, which if you're a team that is now committing to I don't know, 35, 40, 45, maybe $1 million per year to Kirk Cousins. Just the fact that he appears to not have had any setbacks, everything seems to be headed the right direction for a guy who's going to be 36 before next season. That is absolutely significant. I do believe, and I said this on Super Bowl Sunday, I've repeated it since, that Kirk Cousins is going to have a strong market despite coming off the injury and at his age. There just aren't a lot of what NFL GMs and coaches consider to be true starting caliber quarterbacks available in free agency here. You, you heard uh, Kevin O'Connell, the Vikings head coach, as well as Quasi Dofo Mensa, talk about Kirk. They want him back. And Kevin O'Connell said, I believe that Kirk wants to be back. And so we're going to work to make that be the outcome here. But again, there is a certain price point at which it's just going to be too rich for the Vikings. Exactly where that is mm-hmm. is probably still the subject to some discussion throughout the course of this process. But I will also tell you, Minnesota evaluated waited all options to add another veteran to that room, probably a more economical one, okay. in the event that Kirk lands elsewhere, which we can all go down the list of teams here between Atlanta, maybe a return to Washington, Denver. There's plenty of places that could be in that veteran quarterback market. We know that Sean Payton can move money around, so I don't think dead money in a situation with Russell Wilson would stop him from going after somebody like Kirk Cousins. We'll take a look at what that number would be. $5.4 million cap. Exactly. And you could also look at that division, maybe the Raiders. Devontae Adams has talked about, yeah, I'd like to catch some balls from Kirk Cousins. There's definitely quarterback needy teams out there, and we just mentioned two teams in the AFC West. Let's stay in that division. Marquez Valdez-Scantling released by the team. And Legereus Sneed, tag situation, but possibly trade situation. You mentioned the cap number, but there is a lot of other numbers that Brett Veach is juggling. We can kind of touch on maybe a variety of them, Tom. Well, I think we learned a lot about Brett Veach and his philosophies on team building by what happened with Tyreek Hill a couple of years ago. Because there are plenty of GMs who would have felt like they were painting into the corner. You're talking about... At that point, your second best player, probably you can argue Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones, but like Tyreek's a really dynamic player. We're going to trade the top weapon of our MVP quarterback and replace him with a combination of Juju Smith-Schuster and MVS and maybe drafted somebody. Mm -hmm. 
He did it in part because the way that Brett Veach looks at these things is, well, I saved all this cap space now that I can use to go get other players, and I got picks on top of it to replenish the young workforce Look what he did here. with those picks. So, exactly. Key so, members of this team. So, whether it's Chris Jones or Legereus Sneed, I think that that's not to say it's going to go that same direction, but you're not just talking about, oh, man, how are you going to replace him? You can't replace a Chris Jones. Mm-hmm. You really can't replace a Legereus Sneed. Mm-hmm. But if you move on from them and you're able to add, in the case of Sneed, picks through the process, or in either case, a lot of cash and cap, they're going to evaluate everything. When you win a couple of Super Bowls after trading away a top 20 player in the NFL, if anything, you are emboldened to go against the grain, to make those difficult decisions, say, you know what, we got so much confidence in the way that we draft, we'll go and find the defensive tackle equivalent of Rushy Rice and keep this thing moving forward. Interesting. Yeah, Steve? I mean, that, 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 that's a real, that's a real inter- interesting point. But, be, you know, you see the Chiefs, though, they're a defensive team. And to have a situation where you have two anchors of that defense possibly in play is leaving, I don't see both of them leaving, but, I mean, that's an interesting situation. So, Tom, while we're on defense – the art of tackling has come up with the NFL Competition Committee. We know later in March, at the league meetings, there could be more discussion about getting the hip drop tackle out of play. But before we discuss what the owners possibly could be talking about, let's listen to Zaire Franklin, a linebacker of the Colts, the NFL's second leading tackler, actually talk about the hip drop tackle. It's tough. You know, I won't lie to you and say that, you know, they're making it almost impossible for us. Uh, Sometimes it feels like they don't want us to tackle these guys sometimes. I mean, they're banning us. I never even heard of a hip-hop drop tackle until they told me what it was. You know, I've never gone into a tackle and thought to myself, you know, I think I'm going to use this technique in this moment. I just, you know, see Zay Flowers and know that he runs a 4-3 and understand that I got to get him down. You know, that's kind of how it goes. But um, you know, I think, you know, for, you know, myself, I think it's just obviously seeing what you hit is the biggest thing. I think when you tackle with your eyes up um, and your head up, I think that's kind of the biggest emphasis. I know the league is trying to protect guys both from being tackled and the tackler uh, from them head on collisions. Obviously, you don't want to go for a guy's head or neck area, but, you know, the speed of the game is, is what it is. And um, sometimes, you know, physical plays happen. I, I'm a firm believer that football is a physical sport. You're meant to, the physical side of the game is meant to be in it. Um, and I think to take that away is taking away the fabric of what makes the game great. Yeah, that was Franklin back in November. And so, Tom, of course, they want to get this hip drop tackle out because players have gotten hurt with the Ravens tight end Mark Andrews being the big example, breaking his leg on a hip drop, hip drop tackle. But what could the discussion you be can't when the owners reconvene? Steve. I know, I'm, I'm struggling here. What do you think the discussion would be in March when these owners reconvene? If we called it a hip-hop tackle, I think people would be in favor of it. They'd be like, this is very fun. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, So there were a lot of of discussions, as you mentioned, Steve, here at the NFL Combine, where it's always interesting because this is a pretty big meeting. It's not just the NFL Competition Committee that's in there discussing the rules. You have doctors. You have scientists. You have people involved in various levels of the medical community. You have a college person who's in the room as well, because there's a liaison with the NCAA college person? and the NFL. Like a, like a sophomore? Someone representing the oh, NCAA, okay. assuming that the NCAA still exists by the time this uh, rule goes <laughs> into place, that's going to be trying to kind of bridge some of those gaps in terms of, okay, well, here's what we're seeing at our level, because they always try to have the college and NFL rules, for the most part, yeah. kind of sync up. And so th- there's a multi-layered conversation here. But one thing that we know is – when owners want something and when the commissioner wants something, 
Usually that's going to happen. Yep. And there is a strong feeling among the stakeholders here that one way or another, whether you think you can enforce it or not, whether you think that you're making it impossible to tackle people, you see the types of injuries that you had on some of these plays. Not all. Yep. You know, some were, you know, guys end up yep. escaping it. But there's, you know, plays like the one that hurt Mark Andrews. And yep. that's a that's an ugly type mm-hmm. of a play. They say you'll know it when you see it. And I think that there are certain tackles like the one on Mark Andrews where you go, gosh, you mm-hmm. don't want to see that. But there's the same game. Lamar Jackson got hit by the same player at the sideline. Logan yep. Wilson, I believe it was. Yep, it was. It's a similar type of tackle, but it's not with as much force. And Lamar ends up with just kind of, you know, turned his ankle a little bit, but he was okay. So are you going to call it there? Are you only going to call the Mark Andrews style, Andrews style tough, one? Tom. You don't want to start having it be like an old, uh, what was the, the video game on Nintendo, Blades of Steel, where the, the, guy, the guy who lost, the, remember they have the fighting, and the, uh, the guy, the guy who lost the fight was the only one who went to the penalty box. You don't want to have it be, okay, well, because the guy got injured, now it's a violation. You need to be able to enforce it consistently across everything. And we already know NFL officials are so inundated with so many new rules and so many different things they are scrutinized. You're adding one more thing to their plate. But again, the challenge in this is writing the rule where it can be clearly enforced. Yeah. But the NFL and the owners have made pretty clear the directive is write the rule. We don't want to see it. It would be a surprise. Nothing done. It would be a surprise if they don't find a way to outlaw the hey, hip drop. Hey, hey, Tom, real, real quick Blaze follow. Real, real quick follow. Um, you talked about the people in the room, scientists, college students, whatever, NCAA people, whatever. Are there any football players in that room? <laughs> Are there any defensive players in that room who could explain their part of it? There are consultations all the time, Steve, too, with, uh, with players, former players, position coaches. There are surveys that are done with all the position coaches regarding different techniques that they're seeing, if there's any injury data, and trying to mesh that up to, so they stay on top of the trends within the league, which also brings us to the kickoff conversation because that's been a huge part of this as well. Again, they don't necessarily have a clear pathway right now in terms of like, what is that going to look like? What's the new kickoff play? What the XFL is doing where they set up basically, I think it's one at the 25 and one at the 30. That's where the offense and defense on the return team goes. They saw that their rate of concussion went down, yet they saw a high percentage of kickoffs returned as opposed to the NFL last season had a very low rate. Every special teams coach going back a decade when they started looking at this would say they're just they're going to ruin the play. It has to stay and you have to keep the foot in the game. Roddy Dells also said the same thing. We want it to be in the game. Well, last year you went so far the other direction with the fair catch thing that there were virtually no returns. They don't want to have a non-competitive play in the game. That's why we now have 38-yard extra point attempts instead of what it used to be the chip shot from right in front of the goal line I drain those chip there. shots. Right. I can hit yeah. that. You can't necessarily hit it as high rate from ways back. And that's cost oh some guys their jobs. But Here we go. Every play James to be and Tom. This was competing. a non-competitive play. I've made a kick we live did on NFL Network practice. before. You have to go back we, a little ways. We did I don't think I want to do it, do it again here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, was our, I was our team's high school kicker. No big deal. But listen, you're right, because that essence, you could almost evaluate players differently at this combine, Steve, if that play is not in the game. Yeah. Guys that are return specials will be looked at differently and where they land in the draft. And that's that definitely be a been big happening. part of it. If, exactly. if your primary value is on kick returns, you don't have it. Now, you know, maybe it, it's a little bit different. You've, you continue to have this de-emphasis on special teams in general, mm-hmm. but we still see special teams as a massive part of the game when one of the plays that the Super Bowl turns on is just a weird bouncing kick and it mm-hmm. turns into something. Anything in the, yeah. in the MC Championship game. It's a lot of things that happen within the course of football. What you don't want to have is a play that people tune out for. Exactly. Because think about that. What is it ultimately about? What is every decision about? Yes, health and safety 
is a big part of all the conversation from the players' union side because they're in on these meetings too. It's a huge part of the conversation. What you don't want to have, though, is, oh, I've got five minutes to walk away from this game right now. Those are now called restroom plays, around, Tom. Not sticking around for the yeah. – yeah. you don't want to have any restroom plays. Yeah. That, that is a key part of everything that they're trying to do as well. Add Before we let Tom vernacular. go, we've got to ask him about Baker Mayfield. Yep. we got to ask him about Baker Mayfield. He's probably on a lot of people's list. We mentioned Kirk Cousins, the next free agent quarterback down. Where do things stand with Baker? Well, that, that's going to be one of the mysteries of where that number lands as well. It's certainly going to be well north of the $5 million yeah. base that he got – last season it really comes down to is there another team that's going to become heavily involved and we'll start having more answers as the market shakes out here beginning with some of the meetings that happen at this combine of course teams right now are only allowed to beat with agents for their own free agents could some other people be trying to find out some information i suppose that might happen occasionally you know todd bowles yesterday i talked to him off camera when he was waiting to uh, talk with peter schrager and i know he's optimistic about the direction it's going with baker quite frankly from baker's perspective you've been on the browns the panthers the rams and the bucks in the past two years maybe just settle someplace for a year They hired somebody that he worked with in Liam Cohen, but the Falcons also hired Zach Robinson, and they hired Raheem Morris, and those guys are with Baker with the Rams. If there's one dark horse that might emerge for Baker Mayfield, I would think Atlanta is it, but Atlanta's gotten a lot of different options, including holding the number eight overall pick, where Terry Fontenot told me yesterday when I asked him, is trading up a possibility? Because he brought it up, and he said, absolutely, but so is trading down. Whew. Yeah, I, hey, you know he Terry. Terry shoots it straight. He doesn't leave any ambigu- ambiguity uh, when he's when he's giving you an answer at all. Hey, Tom P. Great stuff, brother. You and James. We want to get bathroom plays into the vernacular now. Bathroom break plays in the NFL. Yes. Restroom. So we restroom. Restroom. Plays, restroom. Restroom. My bad. This is a classy show. <laughs> there we go. Restroom. All Walter right. Appreciate closet, you, if you will. There we go. When we come back on the NFL report, some guys are showing up, but they're not participating. But other guys are going to be doing the full drills here at the NFL Combine. What is the benefit of being an indie? We're going to talk about that next on the NFL Report. You're listening to the NFL Report podcast, but you can watch me, Steve Weich, and my co-host James Palmer on the NFL Report at 7.15 Eastern Time on Mondays and Thursdays on the NFL app and free streaming platforms on the NFL channel on Roku, Tubi, Peacock, Pluto TV, and other free streaming apps. Welcome back to the NFL Report. James Palmer, Steve Weich with you as he closed this thing out. Steve, how fascinating was this show, hearing the approach from Les Snead so different than the approach from Andy Reid and how they value certain aspects of this combine. It makes you think how certain prospects also can benefit from being here, throwing. Remember C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson, all those coaches behind them on this field behind me had a chance to see them up close, the ball out of their hand. Both of their stocks went up in a lot of teams' minds when they had a chance to stand there, evaluate them right up there, up close and personal. But there's other guys that have their own particular situations that are a little bit different where maybe not performing is the best case scenario for them. Yeah, like Marvin Harrison Jr., the the Ohio State wide receiver. He didn't even show Mm -hmm. up. He's like going to class and doing everything like that. But most people will say, that's not going to affect his draft status. Who wants to leave the status. campus at Ohio State, Steve? There you go. I mean, I know you were on the seven-year plan there, JP. <laughs> but, I mean, look, he's somebody, you know, the character hey. is there, right? The character is there. The bloodlines are there from his father. So, again, it doesn't always help or hurt people to be there or not be there. I don't know if this is going to be a trend, JP. But in Marvin Harrison's case, and maybe some others, it is not going to hurt them. Well, great show, JP. Make sure... For those of you listening on the podcast, to watch us 
on Mondays and Thursdays on Roku yeah. Tubi. Oh, handsome those NFL guys channel on all you should be watching. But again, this is also a podcast. Remember, 7 p.m. Eastern time, Mondays and Wednesdays. JP, enjoy the ocean air. Make sure to get the halibut. And we are out. <laughs> <laughs> Done. <laughs>